Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. When the pandemic began, the U.S. government, the state of California, and many local municipalities passed some remarkable legislation. With the economy thrown into an unprecedented coma by the virus, many different and novel programs went into effect. As we've chronicled on this show and in reporting across KQED, the programs weren't perfect, but they helped many people. The rent relief and eviction protection programs kept people in their homes through extremely difficult times. However, Research and reporting from El Timpano, a local and extremely innovative news startup in the East Bay, has revealed the cracks in the system that many Latin American immigrants fell through. We'll talk about those problems, as well as how organizers have tried to solve them. That's all coming up. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Nobody likes navigating a big bureaucratic system, even it could really help you out through a difficult time. But what if that system isn't in the language you're most comfortable in or requires documentation that you may not have? Over the course of the pandemic, the team at El Timpano has been talking with the Spanish-speaking subscribers of their news and information service about the problems and successes of the pandemic relief programs that exist here in the Bay Area And they join us this morning to talk about that reporting, which they've done on their own and in different collaborations with KQED, Latino USA and other journalism outfits. The founder of El Timpano is Madeline Baer. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. And Tanya Quintana is a community organizer and a report writer for El Timpano. Welcome, Tanya. Thanks for having me. Um, Madeline, just to get a sense of where this reporting comes from, can you tell us how El Timpano actually sort of works on a day to day basis? Yeah, sure. So El Timpano is a local news and civic engagement organization. We were designed with and for Latino and Mayan immigrants. Um, Started in Oakland, but we now serve immigrants across the Bay Area. And when I say that we are designed with and for Latino and Mayan immigrants, it that's that's why we look very different from a traditional news outlet. So really, before launching anything, we simply listened to hundreds of Latino and Mayan immigrants, primarily in East Oakland, um, as well as community leaders from within the community to really hear from them, you know, what sort of information would help you take part in your community, make decisions for your families, what issues are most important to you, and what's the best way to provide you with that information. And so many community members in that process told us, well, I don't have a home computer. I don't use the internet. Um, I I don't have an email address. 
So it was clear that, you know, a traditional news website wouldn't be the most appropriate approach to serving these communities. And so what we have developed, what's really our primary um, mode of distribution and community engagement is a text messaging platform, Mm -hmm. because nearly everyone does have a cell phone that they can use um, to access information. And so every week, El Timpano provides uh, local actionable news, um, as well as resources and information to our text messaging subscribers, um, again, which are primarily in in East Oakland. But um, as our audience has grown, particularly through the pandemic, we now serve immigrants across nine Bay Area counties. Hmm. And do people pay for it or is it largely philanthropically supported? It's completely free. Um, And the other aspect of it is that it's really a two-way communication service. So when we provide a message on new renter protection policies, um, we always invite community members to respond. We say, you know, what other questions do you have about this issue? Or how have you been affected by XYZ? And every time we send out a message, we can expect to get dozens of responses. Mm. And that's how we really hear, you know, what, what are the questions? What are the concerns? What are the barriers that a lot of folks are facing and actually utilizing the resources that in many cases we're sharing with them? So, you know, you have this unique community partnership model and the pandemic starts to uh, really affect people's lives. What did you start to see? What patterns in the kind of responses that were coming back? What were people saying about their ability to access these various programs? Yeah. So throughout the pandemic, we've been sharing information just to help people navigate what's going on. Um, We've been sharing information about, you know, about COVID, about the new, um, the latest mask mandates, about the COVID vaccines, as well as about, you know, new tenant protection policies, rent relief programs, where you can find food uh, in your neighborhood. Um, And particularly when it has come to relief efforts, um, We've heard from community members that that those aren't working. Um, And as we've shared more and more resources um, around the the various um, rental relief programs, particularly that we've provided with with our to our community, um, community members have responded saying like, hey, I tried applying, but no one called me back Um, or I tried calling this phone number that you sent, but it goes straight to voicemail. Or, you know, I, I, you sent me this application process, but you, I need help. Um, who can help me actually mm-hmm. fill it out? And so that's why we then decided to, to do more research to find what was going on, because clearly a lot of these resources um, weren't actually accessible to many of the community members who need them most. Yeah. And Tanya, this was your, your baby, your project, the Roadblocks to Relief report that you all released earlier this year. Um, what was the process that you, that you followed in order to sort of turn these sort of text relationships uh, into, I, I guess, a, a big research report? Yeah, I think that, as Madeline had mentioned, we really engage in a deep listening process at El Timpano and for communities that are primarily you know, unconnected to internet or don't have access to online applications or that feedback form, what can a deep listening process look like beyond a text message where we can hear their voices and really engage with our community members? So we send so much information and resources, but are folks applying? How's that application process going for them? And just how are they doing in general? Mm -hmm. And in the midst of Omicron, I really wanted that face-to-face interaction, but, you know, to keep it safe, um, but to keep that listening process centered 
I decided to do a series of phone interviews with our community members. And I asked them, you know, what are the barriers to enrollment? Uh, the applications that we're sending, what's working, uh, what isn't working? Are there success stories there? Mm -hmm. And, you know, in between those bus commutes and nursing children, folks responded to me and, you know, we're just surprised and grateful to have a voice on the other end and not like a press two for Spanish um, or a bot telling them that the business hours were not the ones that were specified. And so I was able to just talk to people and, you know, I scripted interview questions as, as to like, okay, you know, what applications, what social mm -hmm. services have you applied to in the past and which ones have worked for you? But I really decided to let them just speak their truth and their story and let that guide the conversation and that guide the feedback that they were giving El Timpano. Yeah. Let's uh, listen in to a few voices from the El Timpano community. Our producer for the segment, Policy Kelly Campos, interviewed some folks uh, the, through El Timpano, and Lulu Ralda is the voice you're going to hear in the translation. Let's first hear uh, from a woman named Hilda. At the beginning of the pandemic, between March and May, we didn't feel the problem immediately. But with the passage of the months, work dried up. Then we couldn't pay for our rent for three months. So we decided after about six months that we were going to try and look for resources, like those you see offered on the radio or TV. And some of them did help us apply. But for me, it was difficult because I don't speak English. I don't remember the exact name of the program, but there was one that did help us in Spanish. They did respond to me. I sent them the photos of what they asked of me, but when they asked for a letter from my landlord so that they could know how many months of rent we owed, he, the landlord, never responded to us. And that's where we left at. We couldn't contact him. That was Hilda. Uh, Hilda... Uh, Tanya, when we hear these kind of problems, it's like this, it feels like Imichi was aware of the program, attempted to apply, but there's kind of this like last mile or maybe it's like last inch of getting to these resources that is this kind of a common problem that you encounter? Yeah, definitely. And I think that interactive platforms and community-based partners like an El Timpano that are willing to just walk or talk you through the entire process and just close that feedback loop okay. are crucial for folks who maybe start an application or develop that awareness that a social service exists or that relief is out there for them, but don't get that extra nudge of support, especially folks that feel the most isolated or are holding, you know, just so much in this time and need that extra ICU from someone who looks like them and mm -hmm. someone who's willing to pay extra attention to their situation. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, hear from another member of your community, uh, someone who got hit really hard by COVID. Uh, let's hear a bit of Maria's story. When I moved here from Houston, I started a job at a cafe. And when the pandemic started, and they started closing businesses down. Our cafe didn't close, but there were layoffs. After the layoffs, they told us that this would be temporary and that we should wait for them to call us back. It was already hard to find another job. In May, I got infected with COVID and was in bed for three months. 
I ate whatever I could find, whatever people brought me from La Clinica de la Raza, because they would send me boxes of food at my door. After I recovered, I was able to go to the food banks myself. So that was uh, Maria, another member of the El Timpano community. And, you know, I was wondering, you know, she mentioned La Clinica La Raza, and I was wondering how you feel like you integrate into the other sets of, you know, community services there uh, in Oakland, Madeline. Yeah, you know, I, I think of El Timpano as a local journalism organization, as a civic engagement organization, but we are also really a community organization, um, very much like an organization like La Clinica de la Raza, Centro Legal, um, other organizations that are providing vital services to their communities. Um, you know, we're doing that too, and our central service is information. Um, and so we're, in many cases, we're helping connect community members to those local resources. Um, they may not know of their local food bank or they might not know what number to call to sign up for La Clinica de la Raza's services. And so we act as, as that connector and just as a trustworthy resource um, for people to come to when they have a question, when they're looking for particular information. So a lot of community members have written to El Timpano um, asking where they can get a vaccine. Um, and so we, we help provide that information. Information. So in, in a, a way, we, we are very much a part of that ecosystem of, of community services. Yeah. We would love to hear from you. Have you faced challenges accessing public services during the pandemic? Or if you're a service provider, what tips do you have for people looking to close those last inches between themselves and the, the resources that they're trying to access the number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. We're talking about the roadblocks facing immigrants trying to access services here in the Bay Area. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. We're joined by the founder of El Timpano, Madeline Baer, and Tanya Quintana, former uh, who wrote a report for El Timpano, is now a program coordinator at Education Superhighway. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the roadblocks facing immigrants trying to access services here in the Bay Area. We're joined by the founder of El Timpano, a news and information service serving Spanish-speaking 
immigrants as well as Maya people in the East Bay. And Tanya Quintana, who wrote a report for El Timpano, The Roadblocks to Relief. She's now a program coordinator at Education Superhighway. And we would like to hear from you. Have you faced challenges accessing public services during this time? What, what have they been? And if you're a service provider, what tips do you have for people uh, seeking help? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. Um, Madeline, one thing that you created during the pandemic was this really powerful hour of radio with Latino USA. And one thing that really came across in that reporting was the number of unofficial evictions that were occurring during the pandemic, particularly to Latin American immigrants, despite the fact that there were eviction protections in place. Can you talk to me a little bit about that phenomenon? Because it's not really showing up in that official eviction data. Yeah, those numbers don't show up in official data. Um, and, you know, this goes to so many of the issues that, that we've been talking about. The, the, the number one question that El Timpano has received from our audience since the start of the pandemic has been, where can I find help to pay my rent? And seeing that so many of those resources that, um, that have been created for that or that have been created to stave off um, evictions or displacement aren't reaching, um, aren't reaching particularly Latino and Mayan immigrants, um, especially undocumented immigrants, we've seen a wave of displacement. Um, this is despite the fact that there are there are eviction protections in place, um, but we've talked to and done a lot of reporting um, on the fact that, you know, when it comes particularly to undocumented immigrants, if they are often faced with um, an eviction threat from their landlord, they they may not know of their rights. Um, they may assume that because they're undocumented, those eviction protections don't apply to them. Um, or they may know of their rights, but also know that, you know, even if I stay in this place, I will still accumulate debt. And how am I ever going to get over mm -hmm. that debt? Um, and in many cases, often they're, you know, they, they feel threatened um, or they feel like in an, in an uncomfortable situation if a landlord has has made that sort of a threat um, that they need to leave. And we've mm -hmm. honestly lost track of the number of people who have come to us with these stories. So it's um, it's hard to, you know, find any number on the on the um, the displacement and unofficial evictions of, of Latino immigrants, because, again, you know, eviction data is really based on official evictions that are taken through a judicial process and go through a court. But what we're talking about here is people who may just get, you know, in one case, a, a community member told us that she received an eviction threat through text message from her landlord. Mm. That's all she got. Um, and so that that's that's the main thing that this story that we produced in partnership with Latino USA looks at. Yeah. You know, and Tanya, one of the things that came up both in the report that you wrote as well as this other reporting is the sort of documentation problems that cascade from people's sort of citizenship status. Like if they don't, you know, have, uh, you know, papers to be working, then they don't have a whole bunch of other papers also. Yeah, and I think that that's a, like, huge barrier to accessing resources in general and also discouraging to feeling confident and, you know, being knowledgeable of your rights or advocating for yourself, regardless of whether or not you have documentation, you should feel empowered to, you know, 
have a home, um, have access to just healthcare and food and your basic needs. And I think in such a deeply isolated time, something that came up was if I don't have access to, you know, the digital online application, I'm not aware of my rights. I'm not aware of what relief is out there for me. And so then I just have to cut corners in a way that's unsustainable and continue to do so because the office isn't open, the phone line is exhausted, and I can't access an online application. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of defeat becomes a way of life for folks, and that just becomes the status quo in terms of cutting those unsustainable corners and keeping on uh, if there isn't a physical place or familiar voice to guide you through something. Mm -hmm. Well, and the the upshot of these problems is that, you know, if you look at San Francisco, which just released their new uh, point-in-time homelessness survey. So, you know, people just one one night, uh, the city surveys um, how many people are homeless. You may not believe this in San Francisco, but by that point in time survey, homelessness overall, unsheltered people overall, um, that, that has gone down. But among Latinos in San Francisco, up 55 percent, uh, according to the latest uh, point in count, point in time count, which was just released. Do you, Madeline, do you think that that same thing has happened in San Francisco, understanding that there are a lot of limitations to point in time counts and all all the data around uh, homelessness and and evictions? What's your sense of how much homelessness has gone up during the pandemic? Oh, I am sure that it has gone up. um, And that number, you know, unfortunately doesn't surprise me. Um, You know, it's Again, there are so many limitations with this data. And one thing also that um, that we address in the Latino USA piece is that, you know, there is a sense of invisibility when it comes to Latino homelessness. Um, and so, you know, folks might not be living in the tent encampments where a lot of the counting is done, but living, at, you know, as the, the person, one of the people we feature in the story, Manuel, um, he's living in a car just outside of the apartment that he had to move out of. Mm, um, and it, it, it is. And, you know, Unfortunately, it's one of several stories um, that that I've heard personally from El Timpano subscribers just sharing with me what they've had to do when they lost their income and then were unable to find adequate relief um, to continue to pay their rent. Um, so I think there are probably thousands of people who are living in their cars today who weren't living in their cars at the start of 2020. That story was particularly heartbreaking because that man actually wasn't asked to leave by his landlord, but instead felt sort of honor bound to leave because he knew he couldn't pay and didn't want to sort of fall further into debt and then ended up living in his car across the street from from his former room. It was a really powerful story. I want to talk a little bit, uh, Tanya, about another component of the research that came across, which was that mental health issues among Latin American immigrants really seem to be, at least people are talking about them more. Yeah, either directly or indirectly, I think that mental health support and just mental health resources in general skyrocketed as a resource need in my interview process and just feedback from our subscribers in general. And I mean, it's so obvious that when folks are just unaware of whether or not they'll get rent relief, if they will be evicted from their home or not in the following month, and if they'll be able to put food on the table, that that feeling of anxiety 
of helplessness and of depression comes on for families. And I mean, in doing our interview process and outreach events, I think something we see a lot is that you ask for an email and a parent nudges at their child or at their teenager. And it's expected that in that household, that young adult will carry on an online application process or will support their family in applying for a resource or for a financial aid or getting a very jargony question right. (laughs) And I think that adds a sense of pressure that is unseen in terms of like a mental health support for folks that are younger and, you know, holding on to so much in terms of supporting their family and feeling an expectation that if they don't get the resource or they don't get the relief, it's a fault of their own rather than, you know, a systematic issue. Yeah. You know, in other reporting and just, you know, in my own community, I mean, a lot of Latinx people, mental health is not something that has has been talked about that often. Do you feel like that's really changing, like the, the, the kind of, culture that maybe I might have grown up with around those things is is uh, shifting away so that people can ask for the help that they need? I think that the pandemic and this isolation has really highlighted a need for mental health support in general now that we're all experiencing a sense of loneliness and, you know, resources are very compromised and folks don't have the general pathways that they used to have in terms of just seeing people, talking to someone. And as that's uplifted in the mainstream, I think it's becoming a more comfortable conversation to have within Latinx households in particular, especially since they tend to be the most impacted by the pandemic. We're talking about the roadblocks facing immigrants trying to access services in the Bay Area, especially those that rolled out during the pandemic. We're joined by the founder of El Timpano, Madeline Baer, and Tanya Quintana, who wrote a report, The Roadblocks to Relief. For El Timpano, she's now a program coordinator at Education Superhighway. We'll go to the phones soon. Would love to hear from you. Have you faced challenges accessing public services during the pandemic? Or maybe your family has and you've been able to to help them out. If you're a service provider, what tips do you have for people who are seeking help? The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. You know, Madeline, one of the really interesting things about El Timpano is that it serves both Spanish-speaking Latinos in the East Bay, but also mom-speaking Maya people who come from what's now uh, Guatemala and one of the largest communities um, of of mom-speaking folks in the the countries, right Right in Oakland. Um, Could you talk about the maybe special roadblocks or, or, you know, separate roadblocks that are faced by kind of mom-speaking uh, communities? Yeah. So, um, you know, th- we serve a, a, lar- a large fraction of our audience is Maya Mom, um, and we've worked with um, incredible young leaders in Oakland's Maya community um, to to develop outreach, um, but also develop new approaches that are really specifically designed with and for the Maya Mom communities, because we realized that, you know, providing information through text message in Spanish is not necessarily the best way to serve community members who um, don't necessarily speak Spanish fluently or for whom um, there are higher rates of, of low literacy among the Maya community. 
And so um, we actually developed a, a Maya community engagement team last summer to to just do more listening um, within the Mayan community to really hear from them how we can better serve the Maya mom community and really understand their specific needs. Um, and certainly what, some of the challenges that came up are our language access. There's very little information produced in the Maya mom language. Um, and then also um, literacy levels as well. Um, there are high high rates of low literacy among the community, but also there's deep, you know, really generational um, isolation um, uh, among the the Maya community, for whom you know for decades there have not been resources that are designed for them, and so um, there's really this this barrier of trust, I would describe it as, in that, you know, you can't expect to simply um, offer a service or offer a resource to a community that has never heard from you before, um, that, you know, might be might be suspicious um, or might really wonder, like, what, is this really for me? Um, and so, you know, I, I think what what we've done is really you know develop a, a team that is from the Maya Mom community um, and an, an initiative that that we launched um, as in a pilot phase earlier this summer is a um, video uh, series mm. sharing information through video on Facebook in the Maya Mom language. Um, we've also worked in partnership with other amazing organizations like Radio Balam um, is also a, a community radio program um, that streams through Facebook. Um, again, really using the um, the medium of, of radio and video um, to really create information that's designed with and for the Maya Mom community. Mm-hmm. You know, Matthew, one of our listeners, Matthew, writes, the Bay has received a wave of immigration of people who speak their own indigenous languages uh, and asks how does El Timpano bridge this second cultural gap and notes that in Sonoma County, there are broadcasts in Mixtec on our -hmm. local community station and just wonders about literacy, Spanish classes and ESL support. Um, I mean, one of the the questions that comes out of Matthew's comment, I think, is there are different... groups with different indigenous languages are, are scattered around the Bay now, too. So even, you know, if you're able to you know, get deeper into the mom speaking community, maybe that doesn't address the situation in Sonoma. So are you seeing a kind of network of organizations uh, come together a- around this, each trying to support kind of a particular slice of this immigrant community? Yeah, sure. And I think, um, you know, I think my, my, my own colleagues could speak more to this, but I've certainly seen, you know, a network developing of folks learning from each other and sharing among each other. Um, I, I think one thing that's, that I've seen just in the past several years of, of leading El Timpano is just a greater awareness of Oakland's Maya Mom community. I think for a long time, I mean, this community has existed in Oakland for decades, um, or these communities, I should say. Um, and yet for a long time, they were really um, considered under the umbrella of Latino immigrants. And, you know, many Maya people don't 
don't self-identify as Latino. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just, you know, even that sort of understanding and cultural awareness that this is actually, these are distinct communities. Um, we can't conflate them under one understanding of Latino. Um, and I think that in and of itself can help, you know, any organizations that are really seeking to serve diverse communities in the Bay Area um, do so with with more integrity and and cultural understanding. Let's bring in Art from Sacramento. Welcome, Art. Hi. I'm a nurse and a nurse practitioner. I work in an FQHC and in a university hospital. I'm, I'm impressed by the conversations KQD is willing to have around this subject. I'm a former migrant farm worker as a child. I'm 11 in a family of 15. Mm. And I, it, this stuff resonates. Um, you know, prior, in, something on your program, uh, KQD, we talked about a poll where large numbers of Americans uh, believe a, there's a misconceptions, a, a whole variety of misconceptions about immigrants, you know, kind of uh, in, it's an invasion of the country. And yet studies show pretty much, and this I'm reading right from the web page, <laughs> immigrants are less likely to commit crimes or be incarcerated than native-born Americans. Uh, and that's an NPR Ipsos poll. And I'm thinking to myself, Pushing back on that element of um, that story that, you know, immigrants somehow take more from this country than they provide, than they, that they offer. And that's where, you know, the, such deficits of uh, documentation are actually by somewhat by design. There are lots of other ways to figure out how, you know, we could, you know, uh, prove our wor- the worth really our worth i said the, the worth of immigrants to this country and and i'm thinking about the sacramento fuel network a network that w- helps um immigrants uh through connecting them with attorneys and service providers i'm thinking about showing up for racial justice a location for white people who want to do social justice work or justice work and uh, just just a variety of but norcal resist you know helping with ice yeah. bonds um, you know, and, and know your rights and deportation defense and asylum workshops. I wonder how do we push back on the message that immigrants uh, take from this country more than they give? Art, uh, thank you so much for, for that call. We will get to that question right after the break. I bet the El Timpano folks have some great answers to that around telling these, you know, real and true stories about the work that uh, all kinds of immigrants are doing in our Bay Area communities. We are talking about the roadblocks facing immigrants trying to access services in the Bay Area. The founder of El Timpano is Madeline Baer and Tanya Quintana, who wrote a report, The Roadblocks Relief uh, for El Timpano, also joins us. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the challenges that people have faced, particularly in immigrant communities, accessing public services during the pandemic. And we'd love to hear from you. 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the roadblocks facing immigrants trying to access services in the Bay Area during the pandemic. The founder of El Timpano joins us. Her name is Madeline Bear. El Timpano is a news and information service providing uh, text message news to many people in the Latino and Maya communities of the East Bay. And we're also joined by Tanya Quintana, who wrote a report, The Roadblocks to Relief for El Tipano. She's now a program coordinator at Education Superhighway. We're also hearing from you. If you're a service provider, what tips do you have for people who are seeking help? Uh, you can give us a call, 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. We'd uh, like to add another voice into our conversation. Linda Roman is a tech exchange program specialist. Uh, Welcome to the show, Linda. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. You know, so one of the things that comes up in El Timpano's work is the need for more access to digital literacy programs and maybe just computers uh, rather than phones to make this kind of document work easier. Can you talk a little bit about what your organization does? Yeah, of course. Um, So Tech Exchange works to ensure that every family, every individual that comes across us or we come across has access to a computer, has access to Internet and the technology skills necessary to improve and enhance their lives. Yeah. And so what does that mean in in practice? Like what's your kind of day to day of working with people look like? So, I mean, a lot of some of the stuff that. Tech Exchange provides is we provide free digital literacy classes. We provide access to affordable internet options and affordable computers and free tech support. So a lot of that time, what that looks like is that people that already have a computer come in and, you know, they get it fixed by us. Um, Or people that are looking to get like a free computer, um, they come and visit us and then we can help them out. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, right? Because, you know, the way I came up was computer before phone. But now, like for so many people, it's the opposite, right? I mean, they've mm-hmm. got phones, but no computers, maybe. Um, do you find it's difficult to teach people to move onto, you know, a thing with a QWERTY keyboard and, and all that? Or do, or do people kind of take to it when they realize what it can do? No, I believe people really take to it. I mean, everything involves patience, right? So a lot of the people that come in, um, once they get to meet our instructors, they feel comfortable. So our instructors take as much time as we can to help them with anything they need. Yeah. Um, you know, Madeline, when I've talked with government technologists, uh, which I used to do a lot in my old work, you know, they seem to know that many people that they're trying to reach are using phones, not computers. Is that still not reflected in how these forms work and how these processes are, are designed to be applied to? I would say that is correct. Um, Yeah, you know, so El Timpano is actually, we've 
been working with uh, Tech Exchange and a number of other local partners um, as part of an initiative called TownLink to address the digital divide in Oakland. And through that work um, and providing resources about digital access and these sorts of digital literary literacy classes that Linda mentioned, um, we've just learned more from our audience of their digital needs um, and limitations. And for instance, we've we've done a study um, where we heard that less than half of our audience has a home computer, hmm. less than half have home internet. And um, when we uh, partnered to actually distribute um, com- laptops to a number of our com- community members, um, it was really a, a pretty significant learning curve to, you know, get them to, to understand how to use a laptop, um, but they also understand how critical it is for, you know, whether it's for filling out government forms or searching for jobs um, or just having a better understanding so that they can help their own students use computers for homework. I mean, that's something that that we heard when. Um, when classes went virtual during the pandemic, we heard a lot of stress from parents who said, I feel like I can no longer support my kids because now everything is on a computer and I don't understand computers. I don't understand how that works. And they felt a real um, real kind of shame or missing out um, because of their simple lack of, of knowledge and skills when it comes to digital literacy. Well, and man, Zoom classes and all that was difficult enough to manage when that's, you know, you've grown up with computers your <laughs> your whole life. I mean, it, it right. really was quite a complex world that, that people were walking into. So what role then do you think that this kind of digital literacy should play? I mean, your your organization has actually almost taken the opposite route, right? You're trying to just say it, it kind of doesn't matter. Uh, you want to make uh, El Timpano as accessible as possible to the widest number of people. Yeah. So yeah, that's definitely why we um, why we use text messaging as our primary platform for for news and and civic engagement. But we also understand that to connect community members with the the resources that they're seeking, um, it often it often does involve um, use of technology, use of a computer, use of an online form. Um, and so that's why we were really excited to be a part of this TownLink program. And we've just heard such a hunger um, and excitement from our community um, about these initiatives, about these resources, about learning about low-cost home internet or classes where they could learn, you know, computer skills. Um, so, you know, I, that's not to say that we plan for El Timpano to start having a, you know, a Spanish language email newsletter, um, but we definitely want to connect community members with resources to help them pick up those digital skills that they need for so many different aspects of their lives. Yeah. You know, I'm wondering, um, El Timino's model is so unusual um, relative to the way that the rest of the, the media works, both like, you know, it's, it's format and delivery, it's conception, the way that it was kind of co-designed um, with the community. You know, Tanya, as someone who both has worked, you know, for El Timpano, but also worked for uh, other kind of community-based organizations, what do you think having this kind of information service does for a marginalized community? Yeah, I think that my work at El Timpano and the research that I've been able to produce really informs the work that I carry out now at Education Superhighway in terms of understanding that text message platforms and community-based organizations that have these, you know, deep connections and are the trusted messengers of the community. You know, the messages that Vanessa sends uh, to El Timpano subscribers are 
messages that folks respond to that they respond to with bendiciones, with gratitude, with holographic holographic messages. And <laughs> so how can organizations like Tech Exchange and like Education Superhighway that are providing information about, you know, free and low cost internet and devices really empower and fund the trusted messengers that are within the community so that they can get those resources to Mayan mom unconnected households mm-hmm. and to Latino immigrant households that are really, you know, hungry for that digital um, access and those opportunities that will help them in terms of just like, you know, navigating this like tech world that we're all finding ourselves in and that can provide so many opportunities in terms of just like a small business platform or having those know your rights trainings or involving yourself within your community and um, showing yourself as an empowered person that just like belongs here and, you know, finding your voice and your confidence in that way. Yeah, it kind of sounds like the this information resource kind of serves as the connective tissue between these other kinds of support that uh, people could use. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I often think of El Timpano as somewhat like of an infrastructure, like a sewage system, um, mm-hmm. but prettier, <laughs> smelly. Um, but, you know, yeah, electricity grid, electricity grid to, yeah, to, to provide those sorts of connections um, to community members, to resources, to public officials, or getting back to the point raised by the caller before the break mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to amplify their stories and just reach larger audiences and, you know, have a m- more diverse media ecosystem um, in the narrative stories that, that we all tell about the Bay Area. Yeah. I mean, I did want you to address Art from Sacramento's point. I mean, this the, the narrative that immigrants take more from communities or from the country um, than, than they give... How do you see your work addressing that? Because in, in a lot of ways, it feels like El Timpano is kind of more inward focused. Like its its primary mission is connecting the members of the East Bay, you know, Latino and Maya speaking, uh, mom speaking Maya communities. Um, but you do occasionally turn kind of turn things around and and tell stories from that community as well. Yeah, so our mission is to inform, engage, and amplify the voices of Latino and Mayan immigrants. And certainly the, you know, the text messaging platform that we've been talking about, that's our primary way of, you know, providing empowering, informative information, information that helps people engage in their communities. Um, but but amplifying their voices is also a critical part of our mission. Um, And it's also what community members told us they want when we, you know, when we undertook that process of just listening to um, immigrant residents to ask what they want to see in in Spanish language media um, and in local media, they said that, you know, we know what our issues are. We want other people to understand these issues. We want our elected officials, we want voters, we want other communities to really understand the issues that are facing us. Um, and so, you know, that's that why we're we're producing a report um, like this, really amplifying those challenges that they're bringing to our attention. Um, that's why we partner with, you know, the world and Latino USA um, to really amplify those stories. Um, and we're you know, we're working to expand our team and our newsroom so that we can do more reporting. Um, that's, you know, not not just on these sorts of challenges that we've talked about, um, but, you know, all, all sorts of the, the complexities um, from within the Latino and Mayan immigrant communities that that we often don't see in, in local and national media. You know, Tanya Quintana, I was also curious, what kinds of solutions bubbled up in your report writing from this, from the community members that you were talking with? Yeah, so I think there was just 
you know, a lack of access to online applications and this low digital literacy that we've all just mentioned throughout has been something that is proposed as a solution. So how can we create more opportunities for access to internet, for access to low cost devices, for folks to be able to complete those online applications? And I think a success story that's related to a solution is, you know, folks have their trusted advocates and their people that they've gone to for years, you know, their librarians, uh, selected social service workers, folks at community-based organizations such as Street Level Health Project or Homies Empowerment, where someone walked them through an application process, explained them a question to them in a less jargony and more accessible way. And those are the messengers and the advocates that people will always go to and feel comfortable around, you know, taking a photo of a driver's license or providing confidential documentation or even creating an email account for the first time. So what does it mean to just put the that funding and those resources back into the trusted messengers of the community, you know, whether it be a parent organizer at a school or a local librarian that's walking you through your first ESL class um, or your, your first time printing something out. I think that those go a long way in helping someone feel confident and empowered to just ask a question and follow through with an enrollment process. Uh, Linda Roman, how important do you think it is that these trusted messengers are, are working in Spanish? I think it's super important. I mean, Myself coming from a Mexican household and, you know, seeing my parents often struggle. I feel like everybody that comes to Tech Exchange and we help and when they see that someone speaks the same language as them, um, it's a whole different level of trust. There is comfortability in there. And I think it's just it's just great to have, you know, staff members that are like you that speak the same language as you because then they're able to navigate through like what Tanya said, application processes and all of this. I think it's really great. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of talk about the spread of news deserts throughout the country. Um, you know, but usually that's kind of centered on like small towns or smaller cities that have lost their newspapers. And the Bay Area is normally thought of being, you know, pretty well served by media relative to other places. But Madeline, it kind of seems like this is an example of almost like a, a news desert within this relatively well served by media area. Yeah, yes, that's exactly right. You, you you wouldn't think of the Bay Area as a news desert. Um, you know, I myself, as a native English speaker with a college background and a smartphone, I have access to so many um, news outlets and, you know, sub stacks and newsletters and blogs. Um, but, you know, w one thing that really inspired me as someone who's, who's not Latina, not an immigrant, um, but inspired me to start El Timpano was, you know, I, I married into a Latino and an immigrant family and I saw just the inequities in local news um, and the fact that, you know, my in-laws um, have very little access to quality local news and information in comparison to uh, to someone like me, um, just because they don't speak English um, or they don't use a smartphone. Um, and so I, I think, you know, when, when I think about news deserts, you know, I, I really think about equities and what communities are the news outlets existing? What communities are they serving? Um, because they're generally serving very overlapping um, and, and usually, you know, highly educated, more affluent audiences. And in the meantime, you know, there are so many other communities that, um, that are being left behind, that, that don't have 
a, a new digital news outlet or a, or a new news platform um, that's serving their communities, that's covering their communities, that's speaking their languages and covering the issues that they care about. And so I think that's it's a different way of looking at news deserts, um, but really thinking through, you know, the issues of, of equity. Um, and that's it's something that actually, you know, I it's a it's a question that has been a part of my career since I um, was a part of a youth media program mm. here in Oakland when I was eight years old um, of just, you know, really thinking of like, who does media serve and who's being left out? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Remy writes in to say, it absolutely infuriates me to learn about the literal billions of dollars stolen through fraud from the EDD and state disability programs when just getting by folks like those in the stories we hear today can't even get a call back. Our elected officials have an obligation to first take care of the most vulnerable among us. Uh, Madeline, this is, you know, journalists oftentimes think of their job as holding those kinds of officials to account. How do you think El Timpano's model does that for, you know, holding elected officials to account on these topics? Yeah, so we've, you know, we have been sharing this report um, with elected officials. El Timpano was actually invited to um, to give a presentation to a group of Bay Area government leaders and staff um, who were interested in hearing, you know, what we've been hearing from our community in terms of um, rent relief and the housing crisis and how that's impacting the community members that we serve. Um, and so um, we've also heard from, you know, staff working with the California state government, um, you know, that was thinking through how they can revise their whole rent relief process to make it more accessible. Um, they have come to El Timpano, again, to hear, you know, all of all of these things that we've been discussing today. Um, you know, I'm not sure how much how much they're able to change um, in in a big government bureaucracy, but we're certainly making sure that you know these findings, that the concerns and experiences that Latino and Mayan immigrants are bringing to our attention, that they're also reaching government mm-hmm. leaders and community leaders um, as they think through ways that they can better design programs that reach the most vulnerable communities. Uh, Tanya Quintana, just as we uh, close the hour here, what other kinds of support is in, you know, in this moment of in the pandemic, not quite over, but inching towards a, a close, perhaps, do you think that the communities you work with really need? Yeah, I think aside from funding those trusted messengers and organizers that are from and by the community, awareness of the programs in general and in folks' native language, you know, if English is your second or third language, it's a huge step to hear a radio ad that is advocating for resources in from the host that you've heard for 25 years, like an Alexis Madrigal, but for a social service, or seeing a transit ad on your bus commute that you take to work, um, or flying or outreach at the swap meet, at your local library, at the school that you drop your children off to. So who is awareness for, and who's being made aware and knowledgeable of programs that are accessible for relief, and who's being left out in that conversation? We've been talking about the roadblocks facing immigrants trying to access services in the Bay Area. We've been joined by the founder of El Timpano, Madeline Bear. Uh, Tanya Quintana, who wrote a report, The Roadblocks to Relief, or LT Pino, looked that up. And Linda Roman, uh, Tech Exchange Program Specialist. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Thank you so much to our guests, callers, listeners. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. She's back. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.